I'm Skip Hazley here to tell you that you can listen to Booked on iTunes, Stitcher, Instacast, Podcast.com, the Zoom Marketplace, and of course at BookedPodcast.com. Booked episodes are also broadcast live once a week from Clive Custer's submarine following his mud bath and laser hair removal treatments. Thank you. guys tell you about the books they're reading i'm olivia snedden and i'm rob olson tonight we have an author interview uh we're going to be having scott g brown on to talk to us a little bit here's his bio that we pulled off of his website scott g brown is the author of the novels breathers faded and most recently lucky bastard he's also had short stories published in zombies encounters uh with the hungry dead which is a weird title and it throws me off the living dead 2 swallowed by the cracks Amazing Stories of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, 21st Century Dead, and he just released a collection of dark hum- dark and humorous stories called Shooting Monkeys in a Barrel. His writing has been influenced by Stephen King, Chuck Palahniuk, Christopher Moore, Kurt Vonnegut, and, his, and the films of Charlie Kaufman and Wes Anderson, among others. He currently lives and writes in San Francisco. That give you a little bit of deja vu reading that? Yeah, as if we did this two episodes ago. You know what? Episodes ago, yep. I uh, I gave it. I gave up on the whole reading it perfectly. It's some of this is difficult, so I'm just gonna. I'm living it with it. Do you remember what book we reviewed of his? Lucky Bastard. Lucky Bastard. I really liked Lucky Bastard. It was a great book. Now we get to talk to I, him about that. Yeah, I actually am about halfway through shooting monkeys in a barrel. I started reading that in the bay way back from Los Angeles. Oh, Los Angeles. We'll be talking a little bit about that later on. Yes, we will. Scott, thanks for taking uh, the time to come talk to us here on Booked. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Okay, so we recently did a review of your latest novel, Lucky Bastard. Uh, but since we've got you here on the show, we always like to uh, give give the authors an opportunity to talk about it in their own words. So do you want to tell us a little bit about Lucky Bastard? Sure. People often ask me what genre it falls into. And... And it's, it's kind of interesting because people want to name something and put it in something so they can identify it. And so it gets put in urban fantasy a lot. But I, I guess that's just because they don't have a section in the bookstore for a dark comedy, social satire, mystery noir detective story with a supernatural edge. Because <laughs> that's what it is. And it, it's, it's really a, a, a dark comedy about a private detective who was born with the ability to steal luck, which he steals from people who are born with good luck, and then he sells it on the black market. Uh, but there's also some classic mystery noir elements added into it that include, you know, femme fatale, as well as the, the loyal sidekick and the, the unknown government worker, and you don't know what agency he works for, as well as the, you know, the, the crime bob, mob boss who is... Who are all sort of all working together, but it's uh, it's fun because it takes place all in one day, and it starts out on the roof of the Sir Francis Drake Hotel with the main character being held at knife point by an angry naked woman, which is always a good way to start off a story. It, it certainly is. Um, in our review, Rob said he could easily see a um, lucky bastard becoming a series. Any thoughts on doing more in that world? I hadn't when I wrote it. I hadn't. I don't tend to think of series when I write any book, which is always kind of odd. We had this discussion at Comic-Con because I was on a panel with everybody else writing series. And I love series in terms of television. I don't think I've really read, the only series I can remember reading in, in a book is the Dark Tower series, which I which I enjoyed. And I thought some were better than the others. But you know, I, I love Lost. I love The X-Files. And you arrest the development and you like them because it's series characters and and, and you get to know them as they go along. But for some reason, I don't, I don't think that way when I sit down to write a book. I think part of that comes from the fact that I am not a plotter. I'm a pantser. I, I make up the story as I go. And so I'm developing the story as I go along. And 
I just, I have an end to it and I don't sit there and think, okay, well, this could be a story arc for, for three different books. So I don't typically tend to think of it that way, but all of my books end with some ambiguity, which makes for a possibility of a sequel. So long as I can go back and not necessarily retread the same thing I've written, which is kind of odd because that's what most people want in their sequels. <laughs> they, they want the comfort of the same thing they had before. Uh, but I do have an idea for a follow-up to this. Uh, I, I don't know how many characters would return from the original one other than, than Nick Monday. And because of the way the first one ended, he may not be able to still have the same name, Nick Monday. He may have to change his name. So that would be something I would have to consider. But I do have an idea for a possible sequel to it, but it would be two books and a novella down the line. And uh, I'm almost done with the novella and I'm editing one of the books and I have another one to write. So it would be at least a year before I would even consider doing something with it. <laughs> um, yeah. Some of the elements I thought um, all that, I mean, all the uh, more serious stuff with like the, the luck and the way that that works. Um, it, it was such an odd thing because I mean, it's a very funny, you know, very, easy to read book but then like when you touch on those those elements of the more serious like things are like the impact of stealing luck from people and stuff i just felt that like there yeah there was a lot there so the, like those type like the specter like the whole idea of the specter um you touched on enough for the story obviously but then i was like man i want to see some of these specters like you know i want to see i want to focus on a specter that type of thing yeah that would be when i you know i, I didn't anticipate having that character come up Again, because my my characters come up as the story evolves, and and really the story evolves out of them. And and when he came up, it was a lot of fun to write him. And originally he was just in one chapter, and I realized he needed to to come back and be in in another chapter. And I couldn't get him any earlier in the book because it just it didn't make sense. But yeah, he was he was an enjoyable character to to create and to to play with. Um, it would be fun to sort of see where that would go. Cool. So I have a little bit of a more lighthearted question and I don't know if it's because of my own personal obsession with, um, of coffee or just the way that it was so prevalent in the book, but, um, <laughs> the way that it was written, the level, there was an authenticity that was there that it was like, how many baristas has this man, you know, dated in his life? So <laughs> is that part of the book coming from any level of personal experience of your success with <laughs> The baristas tend to be uh, attracted to you or anything? No, no. Uh, <laughs> as as I think one female reviewer pointed out that she thought it was ridiculous that, you know, 18 or 20-year-old barista would be attracted to some guy in his early to mid-30s. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite that young. But, no, I, I actually, at the time I wrote this book, I, I did not drink coffee. I did not go to cafes because I... I I just I'm I wasn't a coffee drinker and and notice the past tense there I wasn't a coffee drinker and so <laughs> I felt it was necessary and I'd never had let, let's let's back up just a second here I would drink the occasional cappuccino after a big meal with a dessert I would never wake up and and I don't have a coffee maker I, I don't go down I wouldn't go down and, and grab a, a mocha or a latte or or any other espresso drink and I would rarely drink espresso. So I thought, well, I should at least see what a cappuccino from Starbucks and a mocha from Pete's tastes like since that's what my main character drinks. And so I, I went to them and this is the first time ever that I had coffee from Starbucks or Pete's. And I really liked Pete's. Pete's was nice and strong and it had a lot of flavor to it. Starbucks, I, I didn't yeah, I don't think I would go into a Starbucks unless I was I really needed a, a coffee pick me up. But now I go into a cafe two to three times a week, uh, sometimes, and and I'll sit and I'll order a mocha and write for three or four hours, and that's all because of the research I did <laughs> for this book. So I became um, not quite addicted to caffeine, but I became a little bit more like your your typical writer who has an an IV drip of caffeine constantly running into them but it, it was uh at least to this point I, I haven't had any baristas come up to me and give me their <laughs> phone number on a napkin um 
what I thought was cool, I, we mentioned this in the review, and and uh, while I was reading the book, the thing that I loved so much about this this weird, quirky thing that you made into the story was it's like the exact opposite of any experience anybody who goes to a coffee shop ex- experiences. Like, you always fall in love with the baristas, and they always hate you. <laughs> so it was like this funny juxtaposition of uh, of the roles. It was great. <laughs> well, I'm glad you enjoyed that aspect. Yeah, definitely. All right. We may not have mentioned this part in our review of Lucky Bastard, but the passing of luck in the book is done through through urine. So real quickly for, for the listeners, um, Monday steals the luck through touch. He, he pisses it out, basically kind of goes through a filtration system and then someone else ingests what's, you know, what's been separated out of the urine. Did you do any research on urine therapy or are you just kind of twisted enough to have come up with that on your own? <laughs> well, I, I did a little bit. I, I, I think it's, is it is it called urophagia? Uh, I, you know, I, I read a little bit of, of that, but I used to donate platelets. You know, I, I know people have donated blood, but if you donate platelets, the way that that it works with platelets is the blood comes out of your left arm, goes through a series of tubes that are fed into a centrifuge, and then the platelets are removed from the whole blood, and the platelets help people who are going through chemo or some other things uh, to to clot because they they lose that ability to clot and so the platelets are removed the whole blood is separated and then returned through the vein in the right arm so i get the whole blood back but they they use the centrifuge to separate the platelets so i just decided that you could do the same thing with luck and so you urinate into a catheter which isn't really comfortable but at least that way you don't spill anything and you, it goes into a centrifuge and it separates the, the good luck from, from the urine. And so you have your pure good luck. And then of course, I, I created the history with boiling luck in, in, a, you know, in, a, in, a, in an Erlenmeyer flask and, and the problems that that caused, et cetera. And that was more or less stuff I, I made up on my own. But uh, you, know, you do a little bit of research to add something that makes it seem like it could be possible, maybe not probable, but but in the realm of possibility, and, and and that's all I need to make it work for me. It was one of the things we talked about when reviewing the book is that if you kind of suspend your disbelief in the ability to pass luck through touch, that all of the stuff that followed that was all very, very well thought out, including kind of the, and like I so said, we didn't mention it during the episode, but kind of the way that the luck is passed was fairly believable. So that was that was a really good point, a little on the icky side. But, uh, but I, I kind of think you did that on purpose, too. So I don't, you know, I think it kind of meant to make people shudder a little bit. Well, yeah, I was trying to figure out how the luck would get out of you if you poached it. How would you sell it? How would how could you give it to somebody? Could you could you pass it to them the same way? How would that be possible if, if it came into your genetic structure? And then I came up with the idea of luck being water soluble and. And, you know, needing to get it out of your system because good luck is like a drug. And so you, you drink a diuretic, you know, coffee, tea, alcohol, typically beer. And, and I threw in sugar, something with sugar, whether it was donuts or, or raw candy or apple fritters that you would use in conjunction with the, the beer or the coffee to help process the good luck out of your system as soon as possible after you poached it so that you didn't become addicted to it. Uh, and so I do the parallels to, you know, kind of a, uh, to drugs and, and, and drug dealers and drug dealers who might become actual users and the, the dangers of, of that happening. Like, you know, drug dealing isn't dangerous enough but becoming a, a user as well. So, and again, that wasn't something I, I planned when I sat down. It was just, the way the story came up and what made the most sense to me. So within, within the, the construct of the mythology I created, it made sense. And to me, that's what's important. It, obviously, if you look at, at, at the things in this book or, or either of my other books, there are things that, that couldn't possibly make sense in, a, in, in real biology or, or, or physiology. But so long as it makes sense within the world building I've done, then I'm okay with it. And actually, it's very important because if something doesn't make sense, even just the direction the plot is going, if it's not where I thought it might be going, but it's where it has to go in order to make sense, 
then that's where the story has to go. So <laughs> I'm just going to shoot off a quick thought that just kept running through my mind. We were talking about urine is like, I wonder what happens if you <laughs> steal, <laughs> I wonder what happens if you steal someone's luck and you eat asparagus. But, um, yeah, yeah. I think that would be bad. I, yeah. I think I, I think I actually mentioned that one because there you, cause you, I do mention in the book that you can, if you have to, if it's a, an emergency, you can right. drink the urine straight. And yeah, I think I do mention somewhere in there that, you know, hopefully somebody hasn't eaten uh, asparagus the night before. So, uh, so yeah, I, I do mention that in there. And I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm presuming that you don't typically do a lot of interviews where you talk about urine and drinking urine on the show. <laughs> You're new to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so maybe all right. Maybe you do. <laughs> Actually, no. But I mean, yeah. I, I don't know, Olivius. What do you think? No subject is off limits yeah, for really. us. But I do believe this is the first, the first urine one, urine specific conversation. We've had the bodily fluid, like <laughs> in general, in writing conversation before. But yeah, this one's the first urine specific one. Well, I'm glad we could we could break that seal then, so to speak. Nicely oh, done. Very well. Very so. well done. <laughs> we actually know we had that one guy. Um, we recorded a live reading uh, not too long ago where uh, a guy had a story about this person who's walking down the side of a highway looking for bottles of discarded urine that he wants to drink because uh, truck drivers yeah. take a meth a lot. And so he's trying to get like a secondhand <laughs> high off the meth piss. So oh, that's uh, that's disgustingly great. <laughs> it was very inspired. Mm. <laughs> So uh, going back to me trying to bully you and telling you how to how to write your stuff, um, this is something that came up uh, that has come up with other authors in the past, um, and I'm just curious, what are your thoughts about? Because you have really memorable kind of characters. Um, what are your thoughts about doing crossovers where you'll use like one character in a different story or another book or something like that? Is that something that you like or dislike? So long as the worlds can make sense together, I've I, I, I've done it. Well, I did it in Lucky Bastard. If you guys hadn't read Faded, I, I did it in Lucky Bastard in two very small things, uh, moments. And, uh, and so the characters don't actually show up, but I do make reference to them. And I always loved that with how Stephen King did that. And, and in his books, it was the same world. My, the problem is, is that, you know, in my first book, zombies are real. In my second book, I have, uh, you know, the 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 personifications of abstract concepts like fate and destiny and, and, and lady luck. And then I have lucky bastard and, and the problem, even though I do reference it, the problem with having a crossover between characters and fate and, and lucky bastard is then I have the whole question of, okay, well, if, if lady luck exists and how does that, and she's in charge of luck and how does that work with, with this guy? How would, how would that play uh, with a guy who can, who can steal luck and manipulate luck? But you know, if, if I can if I can come up with a way down the road to to do some crossovers, I will. I know in the in the book I've written just recently, again, it's it's not a character who actually has a speaking part, but it is a reference. So it's more of a. I think they're more of I. I was never a big a big gamer. I like playing video games, but I was never a big a big gamer where you know you would look and you would find. I think they're called Easter eggs. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And and so I, I consider them to be little little Easter eggs for people who have read my other books, so that they can can see that. And and if you hadn't read my books, it's not so big a deal as to as to take you out of the story or or break the the, the sort of the the feel of, of of being in the moment, and you won't feel like you've missed anything. But hopefully, for someone who read one of my other books, it's in there. But yeah, I'd, I'd like to. I just, I just haven't come up with anything so far. Very cool. Um, so thank you, by the way, for, for saying abstract concepts, because I was trying to word this next question. I couldn't come up with a way to describe the characters in Faded. So thanks for throwing that in there. So I'm now going to bastardize my own question to make it make more sense. <laughs> so you had breathers that dealt with, you know, self-war zombies. Faded dealt with abstract concepts, the embodiment of abstract concept, uh, concepts. Lucky Bastard deals with characters who can steal luck. So it's very, very diverse um, and a little, you know, kind of zany in the ideas. Um, I, I realize it's kind of like a cliche question, but you're so all over the place. Like, how do some of these things just just come to you? Well, breathers, 
Breathers was originally a short story I wrote in 2001 called A Zombie's Lament, and it was just a 2,000-word short story. And from when I first really started writing with the in, intention or desire to to do to become a published author and, 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 and be able to do what I'm doing right now, I wrote straight supernatural horror, very much inspired by Stephen King, Dean Koontz, Peter Straub, F. Paul Wilson, Robert McCammon, you know, and, and all the Saturday afternoon monster matinees and things that I used to watch. So I just wrote straight supernatural horror, though I wrote several short stories that were more darkly comedic, socially, satir socially satirical with that supernatural or fantastic element in there. And in 2002, I just wasn't enjoying the two books I was rewriting, my second and my third book, before I wrote Breathers. And so I just, I stopped writing for a while. And then I read Lullaby by Chuck Palahniuk. And I'd never read a dark comedy social satire that had a supernatural element in it that was a full-length book. And this sort of made a light go on in my head and said, oh, I can do this in, in book-length form. And so when I, so that's where the idea for Breathers came from, to go back to your original question, is that I'd written the short story about zombies. And, and, and the idea where that came from is that I'd loved zombies for, you know, since, since I saw Nine Living Dead when I was in sixth grade. I'm not a zombie fanatic, but I enjoyed them. They were my favorite, my favorite Hollywood monster. And I just couldn't come up with an idea that seemed original enough to me. I didn't, I kept trying to write a different type of zombie apocalypse story and nothing was working. And so this was back in 2001. And I thought, well, what if instead of being one of the human survivors, I was instead of zombie, but rather than being your typical Hollywood George Romero zombie, who's mindless and stumbling along and just hungry for human flesh. I was just a decomposing corpse. I had no rights and I needed a lot of therapy. You know, what would my life be like or my existence be like? How would my parents treat me? What would society think? Could I join a bowling league? You know, it was just so that's what got the short story going. And then I was inspired to turn that into a full length book. And once I started writing that, I realized I enjoyed doing the dark comedy and social satire much more than I did just writing the straight supernatural horror. And so that's how Breathers came up. I can give you the the answers for Faded and Lucky Bastard if you want me to give those too. <laughs> oh, oh, I was I was yeah. just I was just gonna say yeah. that you know, shooting monkeys in a barrel kind of covers those those bases on those short stories. It does. Yeah, it, it lists where the ideas came from, and you know, they the idea for for Lucky Bastard came from a short story I wrote called Softland, which was inspired by. Uh, the movie Intacto, which is a Spanish film in 2001 or 2002, which dealt with the idea of, of luck as a commodity, but it really had a different focus. Although it brought up the idea of somebody being able to take luck from somebody, they didn't really focus on that. It focused more on, on sort of this underworld, almost a crime element where it was high-stake games that the loser would end up dying and giving his luck to the winner something along those lines and so i liked the idea of of the stealing luck and playing with that whole luck as a commodity thing and, and doing something with it so that's where that came about and faded faded starts out in a shopping mall and really the idea for that came from me sitting in a shopping mall and looking at people and wondering what they would be like in 20 years and i wrote this little scene about a character who was watching people and he not only wondered what they would look like in 20 years but he knew because he was fate and then it it became obviously more than 20 years because that seems sort of a, a random number to pick he should know what happens to them all throughout their lives and so he's looking at these people and and writing this little scene and and eventually that sort of flowed into a much longer piece about fate and destiny and the choices that human make humans make to screw up their lives I wasn't sure how many people had seen Intacto, but that scene where he's running, they're all running through the forest with the blindfolds on, had to be one of the most intense scenes I'd ever seen in a movie. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I think they, they had the one, the one scene before it where he's running across, the, the one guy is running across the, mm -hmm. the six or eight lanes of, of, of a highway yeah. blindfolded. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was, that was pretty intense, too. I actually just watched that recently for the first time since I'd seen it back in 2002. And, and it was fun to see again. I'd, I'd forgotten a lot about it. 
Okay, so, and I'm going to try and think of the best way to word this. Um, do you have, um, obviously you've got this style that you, that you, that you write in. Is, is there any interest in doing anything uh, that doesn't have some, like, some just more basic fiction stuff, something that doesn't have uh, some sort of fantastic element to it? Or are you happy with the, the, the style you're writing in now? Well, so long as I have stories that that resonate with me, then I'll. And, and it depends on on how they resonate with me. I have I have ideas for this. I like making I like making social commentary, and using the fantastic or the supernatural aspect because it. I think it helps to sort of make it go down easier. <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it, instead of just, you know, I think there are some people who might read it and say, you're, I'm, I'm heavy handed here, but most of the people don't tend to think, at least most of the people I've spoken with, that the social commentary is, is overtly heavy handed. There are times, because I know the last thing I want to do is come across as, as preachy, but, but there is that danger of doing it with the main character speaking in the first person. So having this fantastic element sort of helps to put it in a different context and, and, and allows me to play with that a little bit more. I do have an idea for uh, a fairy tale I'd written uh, a number of years ago, and I had an idea for to do sequels to it, and I spoke with my agent and, and sent it to her to see what she thought. And it's really only novella length. It's about 20,000 words, the first one. I don't know if I could really expand it to, to anything significantly larger. But it, it's, it's different than the stuff I've written. and But it still has kind of a quirky sense of humor in it. Uh, but it also deals with uh, talking dogs and cats. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they live in an enchanted land that is not here. So it's, it's to me, it's kind of like the old Bugs Bunny cartoons because they were really written for adults, but they had an appeal to kids. And so I didn't realize that until I got older. And I'm like, wow, these are, these are hilarious. <laughs> and I, I caught all the things in it that, we're very adult humor, but you know the Looney Tunes, the Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, all the overfed stuff was very appealing to kids. But it was really written for adults, and so that's really what this is. This is written for adults, but with an appeal to you know to kids. So um, yeah, I mean anything I can come up with that is that is something that matters to me, you know that, that I can enjoy writing. Uh, I'm willing to to give it a go. Yeah, makes perfect sense. And when you were explaining that, uh, when you when you got to the point where you said easier to swallow, I was thinking that's exactly what I was I was thinking too. It's it's not. I don't know what it is, but like when I you know when 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 I'm reading something where there's a demon involved, like something that you know I know can't really exist, it makes me. I don't know if it's like that flip of a switch where I'm using more of my imagination instead of, you know, just kind of being told what's going on or something. But yeah, it really puts me more into a story. Does that make sense? Yes. That was to me. Yeah. So I fully agree with you. I think it's a very good point. From the standpoint I mentioned a few minutes ago, I'm about halfway through uh, shooting monkeys in a barrel. So I knew about the, the short story, you know, the short stories turning into the bigger story. There's another one in here that looks like you're working on. Um, the my ego is bigger than yours. Um, yes, that's which that's also yeah. Yep. Um, would you recommend for writers that if they have an idea to explore it as a short story first? Because it seems to be the way it, it kind of works out for you. As I'm reading through this, so if uh, if a writer has an idea, should he you know really try to bang out a short story, one standalone piece, and see if he can expand it from there, or do you suggest they just dive right into a to a novel idea? Well, I I, I think if you've obviously this is my my personal perspective i don't think if you if you've never written a short story or a novel writing a novel can be a very daunting experience learning how to and 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 writing short stories is really an art form i mean i've written short stories and and i like my short stories that are in there but there are people who who write short stories that are just artists at it and they know how to really craft a short story so i'm not saying you have to be one of those people but when you write a short story it at least helps you to develop story structure and you have a much <laughs> it's a much easier goal to reach 
you know, 2,000 words, 3,000 words, 5,000 words, whatever it is. And it allows you to develop your writing skills and to see how you are as a storyteller and, and whether or not you like first person or third person or, you know, third person limited and to play around with different viewpoints before tackling a novel, which, which can, can become very overwhelming. And, and so th- to answer your question from that standpoint, I think short stories are good from that standpoint. And then, and then you might discover later on that there is more in that short story that you would like to like to pursue and like to see if there's, there's, there's more to unearth from that idea that you came up with. And sometimes you, you can and sometimes you can't. It just so happened that's the way it worked out with me. But part of that was because a number of the short stories I'd written were my more comedic, satirical stories that were not straight supernatural. And at the time, my first three books I'd written were straight supernatural horror. And and so that allowed me to sort of play with those ideas until I realized this is something I really wanted to do. You know, once I once I got into into writing breathers and, and realized this works for me much more much more so than, than what I was doing before. Very cool. All right. So first of all, I want to point out that it's, I, it's, it's taken a lot of effort to not talk about zombies earlier in the episode. Cause like <laughs> we talk, I mean, it's, it's scary how often we talk about zombies with authors. Um, but you've got breathers and then it looks like I, I now I, I'm, pretty new to you but i know livius has read more of your stuff but your short stories i'm not familiar with but on your website you've got a list of uh, a couple places you've been published and they look pretty zombie heavy so are you uh where do you stand you said earlier that you're not a big zombie person so where, where do you stand with zombies well when i say i'm not i'm not a zombie fanatic i do not read everything zombie out you're not see every zombie film i kind of pick and choose i watched the first season of walking dead on on netflix and I haven't gone back to watch the, the second season yet. Just haven't been compelled to do it. It's hard for me to really get excited about the traditional zombie apocalypse story because I don't, I don't see a lot of new things happening. And, and that's the reason I wrote Breathers. Uh, and one of the reasons that I wrote Breathers the way I wrote it is because I wanted to explore something different. And I like it when people do something different. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. There are people who do not like when you do something different with zombies. And that's okay, too. But I, you know, it's like, it's like romantic comedies. I, unless you're going to do something different with a romantic comedy, I pretty much know how this is going to turn out. And... And most zombie movies or books that are zombie apocalypse, there's not enough zombies. You know, it's people talking about how to deal with zombies. And so <laughs> I like to write stories about zombies and how they deal with the problem of people. So I, I like to have my zombies to be the protagonist. <laughs> it just, it's, it's more, and, but, but, but on that same note, it's hard for me to, I, I couldn't sit there and pump out book after book after book and short story after short story after short story doing the exact same thing uh, with breathers, which is, you know, right now I'm actually working on a, a Christmas themed zombie novella. That is a sequel to breathers. It was proposed to me by my, my publisher, Simon and Schuster. They asked if I had an idea for something to come out this year. And I pitched them an idea that, that was a sequel to breathers, although I'd never planned on writing a sequel to breathers and they said, okay. And so I'm working on that right now and, and I'm two days past my deadline. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> but, I, I, but I've been given, and, and this is the first time I've ever written a book under deadline. So it's very different. Every other time I've written something, I've written it, fixed it, given it to my agent, sold it. So this is a very different dynamic for me. And on the one hand, I realized that, my readers want might want more of exactly the same this on breathers, but I couldn't do it without feeling like I was just going over the same same material, and I I just I couldn't I couldn't write that. Plus, some of the characters in breathers can't possibly be around for the sequel, so that dynamic is gone. So I had to come up with something that would have a different focus 
and not go over all the same stuff I came up with. And so that's why it would be difficult for me to, to just keep writing the same, same thing. I would, I would, I would feel like I was, I wasn't doing something new. And, and so to go back to your original question, some of these short stories, the, the first story in the anthology actually is, is, is a zombie's lament, which was the story that, that spawned breathers. And then, a zombie gigolo is something I'd written for the 2008 World Horror Convention Gross Out Contest and never actually thought would ever get published because it's very different than anything else I've written. Much more disgusting and over the top. And, and it had to be because it was for a gross out contest. But I took sort of the, the breather's world but focused on one little aspect and that was zombie sex. And so I, that's where Zombie Jiglo came from. And then the most recent one, I was approached by Christopher Golden, who was the editor of 21st Century Dead, and he asked if I was interested in in writing or had something for that. And I said, well, I typically tend to write you know, more humorous pieces from the point of view of zombies or with zombies as the protagonists. And he said, that's fine. And I, I gave him something that was a bit of a... Uh, a, a dig at reality television and and but using all zombies in reality television and he liked it and so that's that's the story in 21st century dead it's called reality bites and uh i yeah i don't know if someone asked me right now can you write a zombie story about something i it, i think i'd be hard pressed to come up with something i i just have other things i want to work on so i i know there are a lot of people who make a great living writing zombies writing about zombies jonathan mayberry is a friend of mine and he writes he writes young adult as well as as a number of other uh, zom adult zombie novels and and he does very well with them but it's i just have these other ideas that i want to explore that have nothing to do with zombies I just have to be honest with you. You said Christmas themed zombie novella, and I don't think I heard a word you said after that. <laughs> I, I like sat up in my chair and thought that that's all I could think about for the last like minute and a half. So good luck with that. I'm looking very much, very much looking forward to that. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, and, and I'll be honest, it's, it's, it's something I need to be happy with, but I'm also very much aware that there are a lot of people who have read breathers that are really looking forward to this. And, you know, I, I, I hope they're not disappointed. You know, I, I hope they're not expecting more of exactly the same. It's obviously Andy. He's still there, but it's a very different story. It has a very different uh, emotional core to it. And, you know, hopefully it, it, it all works. You know, with, with Breathers, it was a very different concept. And, and I just, I couldn't possibly revisit the exact same world of Breathers because because so much has changed and and based on the way breathers ended now if i was just starting from scratch on this and it wasn't a sequel to breathers i might have been able to come up with, with a very different idea but uh, you know this was this was the idea that that popped into my head so you know i i, I will say that it involves uh, there's a there's a body farm involved there's there's a zombie research facility involved there's a zombie santa involved and <laughs> And also, uh, it it involves SantaCon. So if you're if you're not familiar with SantaCon, that's that's an event that takes place in a number of cities every year, where a bunch of people get dressed up like Santa and go out and and bar hop and and get drunk. So <laughs> I want to go back to what you said about um, um, the problem with zombies is like it's tough to do something new, and I fully agree with you and. You mentioned Jonathan Mayberry. We talked about his book, Dead of Night, uh, a while back, you know, dozens of episodes ago we reviewed it. And there was one thing he did that was very, uh, I thought, very unique with his book, and that was refreshing. We also hit upon Stephen Graham Jones in a book called Zombie Bake Off, and he hit some really new ground, which was really, really refreshing. So I fully understand and I agree with you. With the zombie thing, it's so fascinating, but it's so easy to just kind of like keep running over the same ground over and over again. Yeah, I did recently read a book, and and he's he's somebody that I knew, and I was he happens to be published with my same publisher, and and they asked me if I was would read it for a blurb, and you know I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give a blurb to something, and 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 have it not be sincere, and I read his book, and I'm again I'm not a big zombie apocalypse fan, but this was 
told in a different way. And I liked the perspective and it was, it was a very enjoyable read and he's, he's, he's got some chops as a writer. So it was, it was very good. So, you know, I would, I would recommend it to you guys if you wanted to, to check it out again, it's called this dark earth. So that's, that's my plug for John Horner Jacobs. Very nice. <laughs> but it's uh, it was, it was, it was one of the, one of the, the more traditional zombie apocalypse stories that felt to me like it it came at the story in a different way. Maybe it was just the way he told it. I don't know, but but it was it was fun to read. It was difficult for me to put down. And it's and it's one of those books where I, you know, you, you read through and you think, wow, I wish I wish I could write like that. And and even though I write very different than John. I mean, it's the same thing if I read like, you know, I would, I did an event with Lev Grossman here in San Francisco and he was reading the opening chapter to his, uh, his follow-up to the magician King. And I'd read my first chapter and I was listening to him and I thought, wow, I, I suck as a writer <laughs> listening to him. But I realized I don't suck as a writer. It's just when you hear someone that writes something and or you read something that somebody has written and you you can appreciate the the artistry in it or the eloquence in it or the way the person just manages to string words and phrases together and and it affects you on some level you realize wow that's good and and i really like that and and you think you know even if you can't write in that style it's something that you can take with you and say, how did he manage to do that? You know, can I do something and infuse my work with some of the same, some of the same emotion that, 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 that he conveyed there. But again, everyone writes different, differently, whichever it is. I could never really get my, <laughs> but I guess uh, it, but, hey, go I'm going to, I'm going to defend you for a second, which is kind of uh kind of a funny way to go i understand we're saying we've had this conversation on the show about just you know beautifully written prose that that affects you emotionally but to be fair you know i laughed a lot reading all three of your books which is a, a different emotion i've never read grossman i don't imagine i chuckle quite as often so to be fair it's different but there's still an emotion that's evoked there it's just well, a slightly different one i i appreciate that and that's true i mean i i'm right i i also realize i realize when i'm reading some of these things they're writing completely different stuff than i am they're not writing humor you know i'm, I'm writing to make myself laugh and i realize humor is a very personal thing not everybody's going to enjoy my sense of humor you know people have different senses of humor but hopefully the people who do enjoy my sense of humor get a chance to read my books and 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 they'll get a laugh out of it and you know i've i've had I think some of the most enjoyable emails or 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 comments that people have made to me is is that they really laughed when they read my books and you know, that's I figure if I can make somebody laugh then 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 I've done something good. All right, so I realize this next question is kind of uh, kind of pushing it a little bit, seeing as we've had uh, Lucky Bastard come out and now shooting monkeys in a barrel, what, two and a half months apart, roughly. Um, yes. Do you know what's, uh, what we'll be seeing next from you? Well, that will be the, the Christmas-themed zombie novella, which the title is I Saw Zombies Eating Santa Claus. And that is, that is the, the planned title for it, and, and it's, it's going to have a subtitle called A Breather's Christmas Carol. And that's supposed to come out November 13th, presuming, of course, that I, I get it finished. And then, <laughs> and then Big Egos, I don't know when the actual pub date is set for that, but I would imagine it's going to be sometime next year as my delivery date on is, is October 1st. So I'm guessing there's going to be at least six months after that, uh, October, November, December, January. So I wouldn't expect it out anytime earlier than than early spring next year, but I think that depends on, on my publisher's uh, release schedule for, for 2013. Cool. Well, Scott, is there anything else that you want to uh, talk about or, or pimp that we haven't uh, we haven't asked you about yet in the episode? Uh, we've covered all my books. You know, obviously, if if you want to learn more about my stuff, you can go to my website, which is www.sgbrown with an e. That's b r o w n e dot com. And that has all sorts of 
bits and pieces you can go and look at and see if one of my books catches your fancy more than the others. And then you can also find me on Goodreads, Facebook, and Twitter on there as well. And at a local Pete's coffee shop. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, once again, thanks for taking the time to come on and talk with us. Really, really enjoyed having you on. Yeah, like I said, it was my pleasure. And and thank you for having me on the show. I, I had a lot of fun as well. All right. uh, Thanks again to S.G. Brown for a fantastic interview. Don't forget to check out his website, S.G. Brown. That's brown with an E at the end of it, dot com. Um, And I'm sure you can find links to everything you could possibly need there. And uh, don't forget to check out his latest, Shooting Monkeys in a Barrel. I'm halfway through it so far. I absolutely love it. So maybe I'll touch on it a little bit when I finish it before our next episode. Yep. I'm going to jump into that, too. Um, We're kind of in between books, so or starting a new book and I'm going to try and squeeze it in before we get into uh, our next thing or kind of work in tandem. I don't know. I'm crazy like that. LA vacation, is ma- vacation screws everything up. Yeah. Right? LA just totally scrambled my brain. Hey, uh, we went to LA. <laughs> yeah, we did. We made it back in one piece, which was fantastic. Um, yeah. Sorry about being a little late um, on that episode. Uh, if you follow us on Facebook, you may have seen some posts that mentioned that there were some incidents involving Jim beam and some other stuff, some technical difficulties, Um, I assure you both Rob and I have all of our motor skills, um, which is a good thing. Um, But more importantly, we just had a lot of fun. Yeah, there was a lot of and and not just I mean, like, yes, we had fun. It was uh, there was alcohol and noise complaints and things like that. But um, we actually did some really cool creative collaboration with people we don't usually have access to. So uh, I don't know um, when we'll be able to talk about some of the stuff we did or if it's going to come to fruition. I'm hoping it will. And I'm pretty sure it will, but um, a lot. Yeah. There's some, there, we did some fun stuff that I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to share with everybody. Can I mention one thing we did? Just one little thing. Mention it and I might have to cut it out. Yep. We um, appeared on another show. While we were in L.A., we did a, a short guest spot on a, on a show called Total Danarchy that's run by uh, Dan Donchi, a name that you may have heard uh, recently. Um, Palafia talked about him in our last episode um, as the founder of Manarchy, uh, mentioned uh, his uh, Everwind series um, oof, probably during the Rail C episode a couple months ago. Um, <laughs> during, we're going to call it the, uh, the Donchi episode. Yes, yes, because if you remember, you remember what I said? Hey, this is better than Rail C? That's right. So at any rate, um, we uh, we happened to be with him in L.A. and he was doing it's a live video thing. So it's the first time we've done video, which is kind of cool. Um, it's a whole string of letters, but basically you can find it on Ustream. If you just go to um, Google and type in total Danarchy. So it's anarchy with a D at the beginning. Um, pull it up. We're in episode 16. It's in a couple of parts because we kept dropping our Wi-Fi connection. But uh, one of those little parts has, uh, has us right on screen. You click on that. You can check us out. Check out the rest of Dan's show. It's good stuff. Do you know where else Booked was on screen? You know, I do, but I'm going to let you tell it. All right. Um, so the morning of uh, the Batman, uh, the Dark Knight Rises, um, that Friday morning, we, a bunch of us went to, Livius did not, but a bunch of us went to, to see the movie. Uh, Gordon Highland was there, Michael Paul Gonzalez. Um, there was a whole bunch of people there, and uh, there was that unfortunate um, incident in Colorado the night before the shooting, uh, which was terrible. And so there was a lot of people, uh, there was a lot of news vans and stuff lined up in front of the, the building waiting to interview people for the first kind of morning show. And so our group was there and, uh, inside edition walked over to us and asked if someone wanted to, uh, to talk about the incident in Colorado. And so <laughs> Gordon Highland happened to be wearing a, a booked t-shirt. And so he was talking about, um, that whole incident, uh, on, t- on, inside edition and then fox news came over and was talking to him as well so we got the booked logo out into the world uh sadly tagging on to a very very horrible incident but um i have a nice picture of gordon highland being interviewed for the big tv cruise so yeah very very cool stuff um a lot of stuff we can't talk about yet some stuff we'll be able to talk about very very soon so um um, stay tuned. We've got a lot of really cool stuff coming up. I'm I'm very happy with our position right now as a podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely some really cool stuff coming up. Very, we're just excited. We're happy. We've got that kind of like vacation buzz where everything's just nice. Um, you might have felt a bit more energy <laughs> in this interview with SG Brown. Um, 
part of that's the vacation. Part of it was just because he was like really awesome. Dude, how um, cool is that guy? Yeah, <laughs> he he uh, he had some really cool responses, and it's one of those. It's nice for us because like you get those people that you interview where they just say like they just keep talking, but like because they're interesting, you want them to. You just want to like just keep talking, just do it, just keep rolling. And he was one of those, and it was like, oh, thank the Lord, this is this is going to be good stuff. Awesome stuff. So we're um, haven't quite made a decision on our next episode. I can guarantee you it's going to be a book review, though. So because we went up late with the one episode, we already had this planned out with SG Brown. Normally we wouldn't do just a couple of interview episodes in a row. So uh, I guarantee you next week we'll be uh, reviewing a book. We're not sure what that is yet. We're working on a couple of different things. Um, but, yeah, we'll definitely be back next week. And we have to do some reading. Man, we haven't done a lot of reading the last 10 days. You're, hey. You were reading you were I, reading a bottle of Jim Beam. I was, yeah. <laughs> I was reading the tag on the pillow of my bed. Um, I uh, I read on the plane, though. Can I tell you what I read on the plane? Oh, yes, please do. On the flight out, um, I was sitting next to this you know, young kid who was reading paperback copy of The Great Gatsby. Uh, and right next to him was me reading on my iPad, uh, Bradley Sands, Rico Slade Will Fucking Kill You. So a bit of a contrast there, but that was really fun. It was it was a really cool kind of bizarro read. And then on the way back, I, I, I had started uh, Bradley Sands. I Sorry I ruined your orgy on the way once I finished Rico Slade on the plane out, and I finished it up on the way back. So I got a little reading in. It turns out way more than I thought. It ended up being about 130 pages for each of those. So I read almost a full-size book. Um, are you uh, recommending these books to uh, to me or to anybody else that's listening? Yeah, Rico Slade. Uh, okay, Rico Slade's one continuous story, so it's probably it's too small to be considered a novel, but it's a pretty fat novella, um, maybe or a novelette. There's all these classifications. I don't really understand what they mean, but uh, definitely worth the read. It's just weird, and you know this uh, guy's uh, your typical action hero, but like thinking, you know, everyday life is the movie kind of thing it's really messed up and lots of weird bizarro stuff happens but um yeah a lot of fun and then the other one sorry ruined your orgy is a uh, short story collection um also really entertaining and and nice because you can kind of get it in smaller pieces but yeah definitely bradley sands everything so far that i've read from him is just totally thumbs up very cool we said we were gonna keep an eye on that guy and i think uh, i think we've been doing a pretty good job of that that's right so uh, that's going to wrap it up for this very exciting uh, interview episode of Booked. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading. It